Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 171 of Fun with Cars for another postseason, but the last pre-Christmas episode of 2014, and probably the last episode of 2014. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and we thank you for joining us, as always, when we have another uh, sort of unannounced surprise podcast, because you and I actually had the time to get together and, uh, and and do a show, and there's actually quite a bit to talk about since the last show, and uh, just kind of wrap up 2014. Yeah, wrapping up 2014, lots to talk about, and there's a real desire to talk as well. I mean, this is something that Jim and I really enjoy doing, and... It's like, yeah, we should do this more often. I'm having so much fun right now, you don't even know. Oh my god, you guys. Which sounds sarcastic, but actually I'm having fun. No, it's enjoyable because it's, it's there's microphones and computers. I mean, because you and I can have a conversation, but it's so much better if we have microphones and headphones right. on. That we can all, you know, we can hear each other really well for this kind of conversation. Jim and I are really close friends, as I'm assuming is obvious, but it is funny how much more awkward it is for us to talk when there's not microphones. It's like, wait. Should we be recording this right now? Because everything you and I talk about is really important. <laughs> it, it's very important, and we, you know, we we have so many insightful, awesome things to share with uh, with the world as a whole. Um, so, getting right into it, we got uh, some follow up from uh, from listeners and so on from uh, previous shows. Um, John O'Coster uh, sends an email, says he uh, loves the podcast and it adds to his enjoyment of Formula One. So, thank you for that, John O. Uh, um, yeah, thank he, you. So, following up on our conversation about points, though, from the last show, yes. um, he says, I would like to share my idea. How about you get a point for every car you beat in a race? That way, it is a true measure of relative performance, and all cars that finished, except the last car, will get at least one point. There may need to be a winning bonus and podium bonus to give the drivers incentive to push at the front. It's it's fascinating. It, it's funny. It is it is similar to what we have discussed. Frankly, uh, you know, because all we're doing is saying if you're fifteenth, that's your one point marker, and then you get a point for every person you beat from there. The problem with that is what happens. If you have 18 cars versus 20 or 22 or 24, do the number of points you get each season change, each race change? Right. And when does a car, if a car does not start for some reason, does that count against, does that count as beating someone or no? You know, there's a lot of questions like that. Yeah, I think it makes more sense, like we have been doing, like the point seasons have, have been over the years, is to work from the beginning and work backwards rather than work from the work from the, the back markers and work up from there. So, yeah. uh, because like you say, you know, for Lewis Hamilton, he may not even really be aware that there's, you know, a Marussia in the race. <laughs> like, you know, he, he, he qualifies on pole or second and comes first or second in the race. Um, yes, he has beat those other cars, but it's not like he passed them. It's not like a point for physically passing a car, in which case starting on pole would be bad because he can't... You can't pass anybody, so it, it is a little bit uh, like you say. It, it's the trouble is, yeah. If there's if two cars don't make it to a race, is then a victory worth it less? You know, did the, did the victor have to work less hard because there were not two back markers? Right, not really. But to to your point, Jono, it's 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 a brilliant idea, and you and your your emphasis is, hey, you beat something, you beat someone that's worth something. That's agreed upon. It's just that. Doing it that way, as you can hear from our simple conversation, it just makes it a lot more complicated, a lot faster. And one of the key components to a good championship system is simplicity. And, you know, it always gets tempted to bake in little things here and there. But, you know, um, the uh, United States Federal Tax Code at one point was quite simple. <laughs> but uh, over time, people said, oh, let's add this, let's add that, let's do this thing, do that thing. And now we have an extraordinarily complicated tax system, which, you know, 
relates to Formula One really well. We should totally get into a conversation about tax law. That would be <laughs> that would be fun. Um, so we have uh, another email from Paul Perry, who sent us the uh, a link to the video of the this it's the Formula One intro from uh, Globo TV in Brazil. Is that link going to be on our show notes? Oh sure. Oh cool. Because our show notes are way more what link friendly now you well could they're say? way more complete i would say yes um, they've been uh, they have been wrong for a long time with the way the feeds were and stuff you know they, they, they do show notes on the internet now yeah really um and so, where's my tab sorry <laughs> inside joke the simpsons reference yeah um so yeah if you uh, if you visit uh actually in your podcast client um there's a very good chance if you look at your phone or whatever device you're using to listen to a podcast now and uh and and you know look or either maybe hit a little i for info or see some information about it you'll actually have a whole breakdown of show notes uh for links and things that we're talking about yeah and it, it hasn't always been that way that's that's what i recently fixed was uh those were being cut off and you weren't getting the whole thing but now uh i think those are working properly and i feel really good about that so well and it's just one of those things we were looking at uh in the last couple of months after the finale in abu dhabi Jim and I talked about how can we improve the show, and there were some simple things to do, some low-hanging fruit if you want, and Jim was like, you know, our show notes could be better. You know, I do love low-hanging fruit. And show notes were uh, quite low in that hanging fruit, so now they're a lot better, and we think this will add to the experience of our podcast, and frankly, it makes it easier for us to put the show together, so this is really win-win. Right, uh, and we did have some technical issues with the previous uh, with the previous post because um, as, I, as I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but I guess if you don't follow us super closely, you may not have seen. But I added a SSL security a certificate to our site, uh, which means you can go to uh, you can always go to funwithcars.com and you should get it in your normal podcatcher like you have been. Um, but now you can go to https colon slash slash funwithcars.com, and that S means it's over a secure connection, which means it's going uh, you're getting a connection directly from your computer to our server. Computers. Um, which, you gotta which, love them. Which can bypass, uh, you know, sort of systems that are trying to snoop, snoop on you or, you know, in some cases like phones will add extra, you know, uh, cookies and tracking things and whatever. So it's sort of a, you know, security nerd thing, I guess. Uh, and so if you know what that, if you if you want that, then you know what that is and you can use it. If not, that's okay. But I think that caused some problems with some feed catchers um, having a problem with security thing. So hopefully now everyone uh, is hearing this. And if they're not, then I apologize because they can't hear me anyway. Well, I, and Jim, I have to say, I mean, the work you do to make that better is is so wonderful it's certainly beyond my capacity if nothing else of patience and the the way you get into those things and tackle those things is welcome on so on so many levels break our show but well you know know, but then fix it and usually when it's fixed it's even better so anyway uh thank you paul perry uh for the link and for sending us an email we had some replies on Facebook to our previous show as well, including uh, from Gustavo Barrichello, our friend in Brazil, um, about the point system. The only change I can think would be make it. Uh, I can think would make it better is a point or two for pole position. But in my opinion, this is not really an issue since the stupidity of double points has been littered. Um, as a as for the funding of the teams, if I remember correctly, the last team started from scratch was Sauber. Uh, all the other teams since, like Force India and even Red Bull, came from other teams. I say that because Marussia and Caterham were started from scratch, as far as I know, and that can make it more difficult than to already have a factory and people as a base, which I think is a, a valid point. I mean, it's it, entirely re- it's a reasonable, valid point, yeah. I mean, the last one that was uh, supposed to come completely from scratch would have been um, US F1, which was about the worst you could right. do as Formula One team. right. And um, we uh, we all know that Cinderella story. Right. Although, I mean, Haas formula for 2016, you know, we will have to see exactly how that all pans out uh, when that happens. But there are now talks of them being at the Marussia auction to, you know, get some of these old tools and parts. Yeah. And, 
uh, and facilities I think, and whatever. I think Haas F1 is it certainly like US F1. They did build up some things. And I believe that there is a very reasonable chance that Haas F1 will end up with some of those things. Maybe even possibly a facility or two. Because it is Charlotte, North Carolina. Is it not? I believe it is. Um, yeah, who knows, actually. Um, I don't know how... Because that was a long time ago now in uh, in, in terms of business. Well, and 2009. Things. Right. So five, six years. Yeah. Right. So who knows if any of those things are, are still around. But I think it was more so like making business deals to work with wind tunnels and uh, carbon providers and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, Gustavo, uh, excellent. Thank you. Thank you for the reply there. But I, I think, again, uh, we were we were when we were thinking about the points, it was a, about simplicity as well. And that's what we're trying to keep it as simple as possible, have fairness, and have an appropriate weight for uh, how you score and what your positions are. And then for Formula One specifically, the thing that we're trying to minimize is this odd kind of, okay, you don't have points, so how do you finish if you don't have points ahead of one person or the other? That's where it gets silly and screwy. Yeah, and in speaking of silly and screwy, uh, Will Carver says, "What about a point for going fastest to the speed trap?" Well, I mean, you that's know, a thing because that's that's a little bit different because obviously lap time is ultimately what you want. But if every once in a while we find, we see a car that's really really fast in the speed trap, I don't know that that makes a whole lot of sense. But Scott Christie um, also uh, has weighs in on the points thing. He says, "Great idea to change the point system, but to give points to the slowest driver, i.e., fuel consumption, we'll give points you, you didn't give back to the back markers." Um, 17th to 20th, which then means that 17th to 19th miss out on points. Um, this is this is assuming that another team doesn't come, you know, to cover Marusha's departure. Um, right now, what Scott said is really interesting because if I've been I've been thinking about that one thing we was talking about. Well, what about the fastest pit stop? It's like okay, no, nah, that's not really a thing. I was like, okay, well, what about the best fuel consumption? And you said, well, what about fastest lap? And that was the debate we had last time. I'm like, well, hold on, what if we combine the two? What if you get a point if and only if you consume the least amount of fuel and have the fastest lap? That means, first of all, that completely negates all the things I just talked about, about simplicity. But it does. <laughs> what that would do would mean that you were the fastest and the most efficient at the same time. And in a lot of ways, it's not really true. The best possible way to do it would probably be be as efficient as you can be generally, but then give yourself a lap or two towards the end to really go for it. Right. Well, uh, Scott's idea is says maybe it should be for the least amount of power unit parts changes for a team, maybe like 25 constructor points. Um, and his thought is that that could be used to help cap costs. So that's interesting. Cause that's, that's a real interesting one, uh, yeah. Because that is still perform as best you possibly can on track. But if you can do so with fewer turbos and KERS units and battery packs and things like that, then uh, that would be an advantage. I See, the way I would adjust that slightly... And there's a possibility here. Again, we're already, we're adding more complication. But what if instead of 25 points for using the least, what if it was everyone has a two-point demerit? And we're talking about constructor only, but a two-point demerit every time a new power unit's put in or something like that. Do you know what I mean? So that there is a a penalty for replacing. So the the longer the things last, the fewer points you lose. And you get an advantage that way. I don't know. But again, uh, yeah, it's, it's simple as clear as anything, right? <laughs> anyway, thank you to Scott Christie and also uh, Albert Palmer and Jim Helwig uh, for your comments.
Right. And uh, we also, the biggest uh, other story that was just after our show by a few days is that finally the McLaren driver lineup was confirmed. And uh, after years of speculation, it seems like, uh, Fernando Alonso <laughs> is officially a McLaren driver for next year. And so is... It was sarcastically years of speculation, but it was genuinely several months of speculation that young Jensen Button had to wait for his final uh, and... I think, appropriate contract to come. It is, in fact, Jensen Button that is going to be partnered along Fernando Alonso. And his contract was for, I want to be careful here, up to two years. It is not just a one-year extension. It is a two-year contract. But, of course, there's options, and I'm sure departures on both sides and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's saying like it's a, uh, like, yeah, you say a a one-year contract with an option to two years. And I don't know who exactly gets to exercise that option and how or why Jensen wouldn't at that point. But, uh, but yeah, so it seems like, you know, maybe based on the performance of the car, the performance of the driver, how well they stack up and all that, um, you know, how well they fit in with Alonzo and Ron Dennis and all that is, a, I guess, a question. But, uh, but yeah, so that's your boy, man. Um, Kevin Magnuson is the test driver now, which yes. seems fine. He's not fired. He's not out on the street. He's uh, And I, I will say that that was the most diplomatic thing to do, and it is a lot less of a sting to make Kevin Magnuson a test-slash-reserve driver than it would have been to make Button a test-slash-reserve driver. So, considering all the nonsense that McLaren put themselves in, that this was the least nonsensical way to pull themselves back out. Right. So I think that'll be um, that'll be hopefully still good. I mean, Magnuson is still early enough in his career um, that this isn't you know a, like oh you know sort of you know you think some of these drivers like Yarner Truly who was like was at a top team and actually won a race and whatever then was sort of like oh he's a test driver and oh then he's going to be at you know Caterham and whatever like that's sort of on the way down. Kevin Magnuson still seems to be on the way up, and uh, it is a bit weird because that's McLaren's young driver program. So they they bring him up to the program. He's a you know young promising uh, driver. And then he has his year, and then after that, it's like, ah, now get out of the way. We've got two world champions to, to drive. It's not all that different from Felipe Massa. I believe it was Sauber in 2002, maybe 2003, and then he was a test-slash-reserve driver for Ferrari for a year, and then he got the seat, and um, and then obviously went on to win a couple races and do kind of okay. So I think this is in no way a... Uh, your career is over, Kevin Magnuson. It is much more of a, okay, we put ourselves in a weird situation. We still think you're great. Right. And there are, of course, speculations about how, uh, you know, it seems like Alonzo needed to make a move. Um, seems like the biggest thing where just what he and Ferrari were getting out of each other was just not as much as, as you know, could have been. It just seems like a, a better pairing somewhere else um, could have happened. Um, he wasn't, you know, for whatever reason, going to go to Red Bull. Um, so this was the best option, and I think they they basically the way the negotiations were couldn't couldn't turn that down. I mean, if, if any Formula One team, I'm you know quite sure would love to have Alonso driving for them. So um, it was a bit of that, but then it's just you know where you know where Button fits in and how that fits in with Honda as powertrains and Button's connection to Japan and all that. So we don't know exactly what all the negotiations were, of course. But um, yeah, I mean the the hope though, certainly for McLaren fans and for everyone else, is that this new Honda engine rocks just really works well um brings helps bring mclaren up into the fold uh for you know potentials for race wins and so on ron dennis has said you know just getting a win here and there is not even enough we need to dominate 
Yeah. Which, that's a tall Which, order. You know, that to me, that felt a lot like PR spin when he said that. I'm like, yeah, okay, you want to win a lot. We get it. Um, good luck. Uh, Mercedes is not just going to fall down. And the fact that they won 16 out of the 19 races and the fact that they won 18 out of the 19 pole positions means that your chances of dominating in 2015 are not the highest. Um, real quick follow-up. Felipe Massa was at Sauber in 2002. He was a Ferrari test driver in 2003. He was back in Sauber in 2004 and four and five, and then on to Ferrari in 06. But that was a Sauber Ferrari, so I think there was something it to was that. It was always um, Sauber Ferrari, yes, right. exactly right. So it was a little bit like, hey, let's put you back in the junior team, which is kind of the thing with like even you know Paul Deresta at Force India and stuff was like, like oh, yeah, okay, you're part of the Mercedes program. Right, but and now Paul Deresta is part of the works Mercedes. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> but no, exactly right. It It, it is that. But... My point is that uh, this is in no way a sign of Kevin Magnuson's career ending in Formula One, is my point. Right. Um, speaking of careers ending or not, uh, we now know more about Ferrari's roster. So we knew as drivers it was going to be Sebastian Vettel, the uh, you know much talked about uh, move from Red Bull um, alongside Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, but now for test driver, uh, of course, Jules Bianchi was in the Ferrari driver development program, um, and his unfortunate state of affairs means that he's not driving any Formula One cars for a little while. He still is in that program, officially, though. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, you know, Ferrari does want to have some test and development drivers. Um, so uh, Pedro De La Rosa has left and presumably might show back up at McLaren um, in some I capacity. Mean, but Pedro De La Rosa has got to be well into his 40s now, right? Maybe, but maybe he's really good at... I, I'm sure he is really good. I'm not, believe me, in my uh, more mature state of affairs, I am not knocking age. I'm just saying, wow, good on Pedro to keep going. Well, we don't know yet. I mean, maybe he's just going to go be a gardener or something. We don't know. But um, Esteban Gutierrez uh, was hired in, speaking of Saubers and Ferrari connections yes, and whatnot. exactly. Um, so Esteban Gutierrez will be the third driver, the test driver, and so on. And also Jean-Eric Verne found a home at Ferrari, um, apparently mostly for simulator work. So I think he's te technically a, a reserve driver or something. But, um, you know, this is there's been some big shakeups at Ferrari. I mean, we've got lots of people getting fired. Right. Um, uh, Mariachi, he's gone. And uh, Mariachi. Whatever. Yeah, Marco Mariachi. Mariachi, yeah. whatever. Um, he's gone. Ferrari continues to shake things up and continues to, uh, you know, just redevelop the team. But it's getting to the point. It's like, guys, you need some people with experience in there. And I don't mean Formula One experience. I mean Ferrari experience. Um, you know, this I read a I read a big article in Formula One Racing about uh, Luca de Montezemolo and how I think I said it right. Yeah, you did. Um, nailed it. Yes, uh, and about how his problems with Ferrari and the Formula One team and the reason why he was uh, let uh, let go by Sergio Marchionne was um, come, dates back to two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and. Uh, Luca's fight to be president of the Formula One Team Association and his a fight and his uh, interest in potentially breaking off and starting to hold ser his own series, like really started pushing against Bernie to a point. It was basically like, "Hey, you crossed Bernie Ecclestone. Now Ferrari's suffering as a result. You've got to go." That was kind of the crux of it. Now, interesting little side note. The author of this article that I'm referring to was Peter Windsor. So I don't know what biases are there. Right. But what I'm really curious to, to know, though, is how exactly you would pronounce the new Ferrari team principal's name. Uh, 
Mr. Italian. What's his name? Maurizio Arrivabene. Yes. The, uh, the Marlboro guy, right? So I would, he ran... Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah of course. He, slip, slip of the mind there. Yeah, it's... He's whatever, Italian. And... Well, he ran the... Uh, the marketing side of the business. He's definitely like an insider in terms of F1 politics because he ran, you know, obviously it's Scuderia, Ferrari, Marlboro for, since forever. Marlboro has been very well, very closely aligned I with mean, Ferrari. And the just... number of millions of dollars that Marlboro gave Ferrari over the years, I'm sure is in the thousands. In other words, it's billions. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's true. Perfect. Everything I just said is true. Nailed it. So he definitely knows the business side of Formula One, but as team principal seems a bit like, do you know how to run a race team, dude? Uh, well, and that's just it. I mean, really was, uh, I don't know, two or three team principals ago doing that bad of a job. I mean, I'm talking about Stefano uh, Domenicali. I mean, right. I mean, honestly, he's probably doing pretty okay. Right. And, and, of course, some of these things, like the changes that those guys made are just now coming to pass. Um, so, like, who knows? Maybe Marco Mariachi was doing, like, the perfect stuff as team principal. And it just – his changes are just now going to start to be realized just in time for him. He's fired. Now it's – Right. Well, who knows? And, you know, so it's tough to say. But And there was an interesting – in the same article, it was talking about how uh, one of Schumacher's great strengths – wasn't just his driving. Obviously, he was a pretty okay driver, but it was his team management skills, his ability to bring people together and really get it to become one cohesive unit and push forward is a big reason. Michael Schumacher's is a big reason why the team worked so well. And there was a lot of comparisons between Schumacher and Vettel. Can Vettel do those things? And we learned from uh, our photo ace, Mr. Jamie Price, that uh, think what you want about Vettel in his public appearances, but he really genuinely is a stand-up guy. And I do believe that he's consistent in his demeanor to show that he is the type of person that will want to bring together a team and have them work together. Will he be able to bring a, a skill set similar to Schumacher? That's a big unknown. But is that a potential boon for the team? Because Alonso was much more of a, okay, Let's get everyone around me. I'm in the center. Me, me, me. Let's do it. <laughs> and who's We're, this Hamilton guy? Get him right, out of my bubble. Exactly. Whereas Vettel or, will be a little bit more like, okay, we are Ferrari. We are the Ferrari unit. How do we make Ferrari better? I don't know. Maybe. I, this is a big question mark, but it's it's fascinating. The, the one most curious thing, though, is... Vettel, are you sure you know what you're getting yourself into? <laughs> it's like, we know these red cars are magical to drive, but they're not very good right now. Right. You're right. Magically slow, potentially. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's fascinating. In 2015, with McLaren Honda and Ferrari getting another German phenom and all the other uh, things that are shifting around. It's going to be a fascinating season. It is, and my attempts to go chronological in this podcast have completely gone off the rails because the whole main reason that you and I got together today was to do a review and kind of a wrap-up of 2014, and we already skipped on to 2015. So I apologize for that, and uh, you know we'll have to do a little bit of time travel here. But Well, that's okay. I think we have plenty to talk about to kind of wrap up 2014 and, and some teammate comparisons and, and talk about that a little bit. I agree, and... Uh, through the magic of Excel. Oh, goodness. Here oh, go. yes. Oh, yes. It's happened. Through the magic of Excel, I have put together a little teammate comparison test thing, which I do believe uh, the magical new show notes will include a link to that thing we're going to use. Right? Right. Yes. I will figure that out. Figure that out. I will. Hey, get on that. Okay. Yes. 
So, uh, so what have what have you set up here? Because we we can look at the actual results. I mean, now that all the all the points have been awarded, including double at the last round and all that, mm-hmm. um, we can very well just go down the list and say, okay, who scored? Our, you know, who outscored whom, and and see who's the winner. So, um, is are, is that it, or you want to talk? Um, you want to go another level on that? Well, so what we've done, it's it's pretty simple. We've I've put together a real quick kind of table of here's some couple of object, objective facts about the team and the teammates in the team, what they did, and whoever finished higher in the championship objectively won between the two teammates, right? Okay. But then that's been proven time and time again, and of course 2014 is not an exception. Um, the objective facts and the actual truths and what the teams are moving forward and then our own personal opinions do not bear out the same opinion. So we're going to look at the data analyze the objective winner, and then claim who was the actual winner afterwards. So we're going to do this team by team. Does that make sense? A little bit. A little bit. I'll take a little bit. You've got this nice colorful layout in front of me here. And we're going to do this in reverse championship order, which means... I thought we were alphabetical. Oh, no. no, 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 no. Oh, goodness. No, 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 no. The chart is alphabetical, oh. but we are smarter than the chart. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I'm not convinced of that. All right, so first team, the Caterham Renault. And uh, Caterham is unique in the sense that they actually, over the uh, season, had four drivers running their car, not two. But we are going to largely stick to the two drivers that started the season and did, in fact, perform the majority of the duties, which is Marcus Erickson and Kamui Kobayashi. So um, uh, Andre Lauderer and Will Stevens um, did one race each. And uh, if we're going to say... We're going to quickly compare all four. I'd say Lauderer wins, but, you know, he's busy with Audi. Right. Well, he outqualified Ericsson at Spa, but retired. And then Stevens was uh, was, uh, qualified behind Kobayashi, but Kobayashi didn't finish and Will Stevens did. So it's a little bit, neither one of those is great. I mean, and Lauderer made like three quarters of a lap at Spa and then the car died. So that that car is a difficult one to run a teammate comparison in when it, you know, not, you know, rarely finishes races and sometimes doesn't finish laps. So, and yet, here we go. <laughs> right. So, Marcus Erickson um, and Kamui Kobayashi. Marcus Erickson, average race finish was 17.9. Average grid starting position was, I love this one, 20.2. Um, and that's, that's, that's impressively bad. Um, his best race finish... At least he's consistent. That's true. His best race finish was 11th, which is actually reasonably strong. His best grid position was 16th. He scored zero points and ended up 19th in the championship, whereas Kamui Kobayashi was better during the race, better in uh, better during the race, better in qualifying. His best race finish, though, was not as good. It was 13th, and his best, uh, but he was again better on the grid. He also did not score points, but because um, Marcus Erickson had a better race, Marcus Erickson was 19th in the championship. Kamui Kobayashi was 22nd, which means Marcus Erickson is clearly the better driver, objectively. But I think we're... (laughs) That's hard. First of all, Kamui Kobayashi is Japanese and awesome. And he was consistently quicker, just perhaps worse luck. And Erickson was not even loyal to the team. I mean, don't forget... uh, uh, Caterham came back for the season finale in Abu Dhabi. Erickson was not there because he already had a contract. And he's like, no, I'm done with Caterham, and that's the end of it. Yeah. 
Tomoe Kobayashi wins that one, uh, in my opinion. Um, he out-qualified, out-raced, and, uh, you know, except for the one time. And that's what's weird about the points being where they are, that one better result outdoes a consistent string of slightly better results. So uh, I'd say that one should go to Kobayashi because um, it was like almost like three to one, out-qualifying and out-finishing uh, Marcus Erickson. So over the course of the season, Kobayashi is the better guy. Exactly. It's just that the one thing that, the one thing that Erickson did better in is the one thing that counts the most for championship. And yeah, there you go. Okay. So the next team we're going to talk about is the only other team to not score points. And that is not Marusha. That is Sauber and uh, the Sauber Ferrari with Esteban Gutierrez and Adrian Sutil. Um, Esteban Gutierrez had a better race finish to Adrian 16.1 versus 16.4. He had a worse starting place on the grid, 15.7 instead of 14.7. His best race finish was 12th. Adrian's was 11th. His best place on the grid was 11th. Adrian's was 9th. And again, neither scored points. Esteban Gutierrez was 20th in the championship. Adrian Sutil, 18th. What say you, sir? Everybody wins. Too close to call. <laughs> oh, oh, but we no. must call. We must call. Um, when it's that close, I mean, I would say um, I would I would agree with the the metric there of Sutil. Um, it's like when it's really really close, and you know, if one guy's got a slight advantage, um, he ends 18th in the championship instead of 20th. That's better. Yeah, I I have to agree. It's funny. I was ready for you to argue with me because you like Estepan and you like Mexico, but I do uh, like Mexico. That's true. But it's Adrian is more experienced. He's taller. And he did, he did perform better. Adrian, he's tough. Like generally, it seems like he didn't really ever catch a break. And had he been in a top team, he could have done really well. But now, it's harder to say that. It's like God, maybe, maybe you're not that good after all. But between between Esteban, who has much less experience, he did outperform. Right, and uh, interestingly, as another uh, side note, like we just talked about for 2015, Esteban Gutierrez has a job, test-driving Ferraris. Adrian Sutil, we don't know. We don't know. So in terms of who's really the winner, eh, it could be Esteban Gutierrez. Right, exactly right. There's, so There's something to be said for that. Okay, next up, Marusha. And Marusha finished with two points on the grid. That is... Um, Thanks to uh, Mr. Bianchi. All right. Do we need to break down the details on this one? Or can we just go ahead and say Jules Bianchi um, just owned Max Chilton all the way through the season? No, we should break this down because I find it fascinating. Okay. We're talking about a backmarker team here. Yet, what are the things that um, draw them out, right? Well. Who out-qualified whom? Jules Bianchi. Okay. 16.5 average versus Max Chilton 17.1. Yeah, and then, oh no, qualifying. No, that that was race finish. Sorry. So Chilton, uh, so Bianchi's better in race finishes. He's better in qualifying. He was seventeen point eighth on the grid on average versus nineteen and a half. His best race finish was ninth, hence the two points versus Chilton's thirteenth. His best position on the grid was twelfth, as opposed to Max Chilton's seventeenth. And I feel that one is striking. Right. And then two points versus zero. Uh, Jules Bianchi finished 17th in the championship and uh, Mr. Chilton 21st. And being even more special, I mean, Jules Bianchi um, scored the only te- the only points that Marussia has ever scored and may ever score ever, I mean, for that team and its various incarnations. Um, so that's very special for the team and means millions of dollars. So that's a win. And Bianchi, 
um, had no, didn't even get to take part in the rest of the season, you know, the full season. So um, to do, um, you know, I guess neither did Chilton, but, uh, you know, there was, uh, there was Russia where it was just Chilton running. So it's, there's just nothing I think we can look at. I mean, maybe Max Chilton brought in so much money that it allowed the team to race and gave Jules Bianchi a seat or whatever, but um, that's, I mean, yes, Bianchi is the rightful winner in that team. I don't think there's much uh, much to be said the other direction. Don't be so one-sided. I bet you Max Chilton makes a better cup of tea. See, I don't even know about that. Well, are you trying to argue that French knows tea? I'm not so sure about this. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Jules Bianchi all the way. Um, mad respect to that guy. And uh, obviously, you know, hope he continues to recover on, uh, speaking of that, with uh, Forza Jules all the way. Exactly right. Um, that's definitely something that I'd keep an eye out. It, it, you know, it's been fairly quiet. He's got he's got a lot of work to do. I still think and hope that he can recover quite a bit. It's very important, as a quick side note, for uh, his family, for he himself, and for everyone around to stay very positive about that. I'm telling you as close to factually as I can that that helps. It made a huge difference for me. I had tons of support and uh, it made it easy for me to stay positive. Um, and it was easy to stay positive, even though I had to stay positive like this. And I just, I want, I want the same for Jules. And uh, we just, we all fight for that. So anyway, Moving on, the next worst team, and it's just, just... Next worst, next better. We're moving up the championship here. Right, this is true. Uh, Lotus in eighth place. That is a fall from grace, if ever there were one. But what do you think? So it's Grosjean and Pastor Maldonado, everybody's friend. Now here's what's interesting. This is, you know, you want to look at this and say, well, of course it's Grosjean. Of course it's Grosjean, that's right. But who's next? But oh. hold on, it's not quite is it's not as clear as it looks. Okay, first, real quick, yes, it's Grosjean. I agree, Grosjean. <laughs> <laughs> but so, average race finish is better by uh, by by a place. Fifteen six, fifteen point six versus fourteen point eight. Average qualifying seventeen point seven for Pastor, fourteen point nine for Grosjean. I think that's the most distinctive. Well, maybe not, but um, best race finish. Um, Romain scored an eighth place and, uh, Pastor a ninth place. So they both scored points. Um, and, uh, Romain Grosjean was at one point fifth on the grid versus Pastor. He, the best he did was 10th. That's a pretty big difference. But here's where it gets striking. Um, uh, Romain Grosjean scored eight points, Pastor two, which, yeah, okay. It's like, okay, that's six more points. Well, it's also what? 300% more? So four times. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's a big, big difference. And, uh, Romain, in fact, did finish 14th in championship instead of 16th for Pastor. So we agree with the objectives. Romain Grosjean is the winner. And then in another fall from grace from previous performances, although not quite so far, I mean, Lotus ended up with 10 points over the course of the season. That is not very many points, but a step up from them. Scuderia Toro Rosso, STR. Um, which has had some pretty deep, you know pretty reasonable seasons, including you know Vettel's win when he was with them and and uh, and all that. But um, yeah, so thirty points for them though. That's quite a bit more than the Lotus. Um, and we can see where they break down. Yeah, and now this one, this is the one I was looking forward to the most because objectively, uh, we had Jean Eric Verne, uh, the old man that still somehow has a drive, uh, and uh, Daniel Kvyat and. Uh, 
Indeed, Jean-Eric Verne had a better average race finish, 12.9 versus 13.6. He had a slightly worse grid starting position, 11.7 from 11.2. However, Jean-Eric Verne finished 6th. In, in his best race finish was 6th. Daniel Kvyat was only 9th. Um, Jean-Eric Verne was 6th on the grid at one point. Uh, Daniel Kvyat was 5th, in fact, but... Uh, John Verne scored 22 points versus Kafiat's eight. Big difference. And indeed, he ended up finishing 13th on the grid. Um, Kafiat 15th. So clearly, John Eric Verne is the objective winner. Right. However. No, he's the objective winner. He's the winner. He's the winner. He's better. He's better. Yeah. He's not going to be at str next year he's not going to be in an actual forming the car next year he's going to be putzing around in a simulator for ferrari which certainly there are worse things to do in the world but right and a little bit of sim putzing here's here's where it's going to get interesting are we going to agree with the real world yes i think john eric Verne was better right he was it doesn't necessarily mean you get a drive for next year but i think that there's nothing saying he you know Kafiat was the better driver for this last year, obviously, there's so much more to it with with who's you know who's where in their career, and the, the whole point of STR is the young driver program. Then why keep on the old driver if he's not a young driver anymore? He's bringing the new he's guys. Freaking twenty five though. That's what frustrates me. What an old versus a young driver has become. And Max Verstappen, I swear to God, um, if don't he's twenty four. Just... Jean Eric Fern is right, which is old somehow. Now I I don't understand well, career wise. I mean you know no. This... No, no, nothing for, wise. This yes, is ridiculous. For, for if, if, this were, if this were a toddler t-ball team, I'd say yeah. Well, Jean Eric Byrne that, is getting pretty old. <laughs> but this is this is nuts. The fact that he is younger than my youngest brother by what two or three years? Are okay. I'm 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 frustrated. I'm letting my emotions get out. The see, fact of the matter you're, is... You're not, see, you're thinking of, of STR as just like its own Formula 1 team, as though it exists solely to just be the best Formula 1 team they can be. And that's not what they exist to do. They exist to support the, the proper Red Bull team. And, uh, you know, that doesn't... But that It you, was a close call between Daniel Ricciardo and Jean-Éric Verne to move to Red Bull right. for this season, this past season. And now... It's, oh, well, you're not even going to be good enough for STR. Now he's in the Daniel uh, Buemi, uh, Daniel Daniel Buemi, Buemi. Sebastian Buemi, and uh, Jaime Alguishwari camp of, no, you're just not good enough. Uh, To me, that's that's, what this team is. That's shocking. No, it's not. Yes, it's shocking. So it sounds like you and I both agree that Jean-Eric Verne is indeed the winner here. We agree that he was actually better. Yes, Okay. 22 points to eight. 22 points to 8, and just better performance. And let's not forget how aggressive he was. I mean, he brought on some exciting races for some of these events, okay? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Kvyat was always, wow, he's doing really well for such a young age. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was not outright, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. He's a phenom. It was, wow, he's really young, and he's doing well. He's holding up well. And I don't disagree that Kvyat's a good guy, and he has a lot of potential. And, you know, there's... There's lots of reasons to be pro Kafiat, but I think that John Eric Fern was um, mistakenly given the axe. Right, I think we agree with that too. But point is, uh, Jev was the was the better man for 2014. It that is the point. Okay, moving on to uh, sixth in the championship with uh, a, an, ooh, is this the lowest ranking Mercedes engine? 
I suppose so. I suppose so. It, we are talking, of course, of the Force India car, and that was piloted by Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez. Chico Perez! That guy. Um, and, indeed, Nico Hulkenberg was the better race finisher on average, an 8.8 position versus 11.2. He was better on the grid, 10.9 versus 12.1. However, his best race, which he did, I think, four or five times, was fifth place. Sergio Perez was third at one point. They both at one point started fourth on the grid for a tie. Anyway, the big thing here is Nico Hulkenberg scored many more points, 96 versus 59. And uh, ironically enough, that was only worth one extra place in championship, ninth versus 10th. Hulkenberg is objectively the winner. And I agree. We agree. Oh, yeah, okay. that I mean, one's pretty simple. Huh? <laughs> I like Checo, I like Mexico, but yeah, Hulkenberg uh, did a better job. Yes. fourteen. I mean, you know, I will certainly uh, take a uh, Checo Perez uh, tortilla over uh, Hulkenberg, but, uh, you know, so it goes. I don't know why food is the one and only thing I can point to, but... I know. Okay. Um, fifth in the championship, McLaren Mercedes. We just had a big conversation about this one, and indeed, it was... Listen, this one's interesting because this is a, they're both winners, but Jensen Button scored 126 points. Kevin Magnuson scored 55. Um, Jensen was better average race, better average grid, but close. Um, I mean, he finished, uh, Jensen finished ahead more often, qualified ahead more often, spent more laps ahead, and got more points. There was a lot of more there. You know, uh, and and I think this is the one where the objective numbers say that Jensen Button should be the winner. You and I think that Jensen Button was the better driver. And in the actual world, Jensen Button gets the race seat and Kevin Magnuson gets another year as reserve driver to hone his skills and whatnot and make a review later. So I think in this case, everybody agrees. Yes, this is this is a this is the justice team. For, uh, in, in a very unjust way, ironically enough, but I mean, they took, actually took came enough, to this but... decision. But yes. Okay, so fourth in the championship. And it's kind of amazing that I can say fourth in the championship and then say Ferrari. That's amazing. And that, I guess that lines up exactly with what we were saying, which is Ferrari is changing a lot of things around. And Well, I don't think it's so amazing to say that they're fourth, but to, to talk about you know a team uh, with one dominant driver and one complete, like, complete, not... I guess complete loser sounds a bit extreme, but that sounds way extreme. Um, but I would totally fight you on that. To one. have world champion Kimi Raikkonen uh, just be behind in every single metric. I mean, is there any is there any metric that Raikkonen is ahead in? I mean, his average race position is worse. Average qualifying position is quite worse by like three spots from averaging you know seventh to averaging tenth ish. Or yes, um, you know Alonso's best result was second. Kimi's best result was fourth. Um, you know, best grid spot like. He's behind in every single way, but what really comes down to it at the end, especially for a team like Ferrari, points for the Constructors' Championship. Alonso brought in 161 points. Raikkonen brought in 55 points. That is a huge difference, and that means that Raikkonen was 12th in the championship to Alonso being 6th. So here's Well, here's the best part about that. Uh, he scored 55 points, Raikkonen did. So did Kevin Magnussen, but you'll notice that Kevin Magnussen was 11th in the championship, Raikkonen 12th. Reason being, Kevin Magnussen was on the podium and Raikkonen was not. Here's where it gets tricky. So, first and foremost, yes, Fernando absolutely won this one. There's no denying it. You just you just can't. However, um, the way that team was working and everything going around it, I think that it is true that Raikkonen suffered from having different 
characteristics he wanted out of the car to Alonzo and getting no say in that. Alonzo actually absolutely owned that part of it and um, and uh, that was something that Raikkonen had to suffer through. And if the car were more built towards Raikkonen's liking, he would have fared better. And I think what this goes to more than anything is don't have two older, you know, we'll say mature, world champion level drivers on a team and then just pick one. So we'll have to see how McLaren shapes up if they pick one or what. Well, McLaren will pick one. It will be Alonzo. And <laughs> Jensen Button will be, I think, better. I think the difference between Raikkonen and Jensen is they're both sensitive. But when Jensen's demands are met perfectly, he's less amazingly fast than Raikkonen. And when the things aren't met, he's less off the pace than Raikkonen. You know what I mean? He's more even keel. So I think you'll see Button pull in some clever race strategy, Button pull in some interesting this and that, and Button give really good feedback, and that'll help bolster Button against Alonso, but not necessarily mean that Button's going to devastate Alonso. Although that would be sweet if that happened. That would be uh, that would be unexpected, I think. But uh, and that's always fun when we have things that are not expected. And of course, this even this uh, Raikkonen result is not expected. We were sort of thinking this was going to be a much more uh, even-handed back-to-back. Like, oh man, the triumphant return, Kimi Raikkonen, this is going to be amazing. And you know, it wasn't indeed. We, indeed, so uh, so okay. Here's uh, moving on to third in the constructors' championship. Ooh, this is a good one. This is a good one, and it's an interesting one. Uh, Valtteri Botas and Felipe Massa piloting the Williams Mercedes. Oh, I thought we were going to rate Claire Williams versus Susie Wolf. I'm sorry, I got I got confused on the, that, the Williams. My goodness, if there were just it, it, everyone's a winner. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's a winner. How to distract Robin in three easy words? <clears throat> Please. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I would take tea with either of them. <laughs> Let me just say. Okay. And I would tell my wife, I said, Amory, I have some tea to take. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, Valtteri Botas against Felipe Massa. Botas uh, did finish better. He did, on average, qualify better. Mm-hmm. They both finished second in the race at one point. Uh, Massa was indeed on pole once. In fact, he was the only one on pole that was not in a factory Mercedes car. But yet again, um, Valtteri scored more points, finished fourth in Constructors' Championship instead of seventh, and uh, objectively won. And I think he also actually won, in my point, in my view. I, I, do you disagree? No. I think he won as well. Simple enough. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. So he did. Uh, there were a few times, you know, Massa did finish ahead of Botas um, more so than the other way around. But when it wasn't that, I mean, Massa had some some dreadful races, including... Uh, you know some, uh, you know some things that were not his fault, which of course happens on, on all these drivers. But yes, um, but overall, yeah, I mean, Botas was was right there on the podium multiple times and right there near the top and was often best of the rest of the non Mercedes Mercedes guys. So yeah, it uh, it you know just I, I give the nod to Botas. Well, and, and here's I, in my opinion a perfect example of consistency versus um, peaks and troughs. You know, Botas was. When the Williams was on, you knew Botas would be right there. And if he was having an off day, he might be sixth or seventh. With Felipe, he could be on pole or he could be dead last. He could be he could be fighting to catch the leader or spinning and flipping his car. Uh it's you know, Massa had a couple of he had one nasty accident in Montreal. 
He had some other accidents. He always blamed the other other driver, which started getting a little bit like, dude, take some responsibility. And he had a lot of passion going, right? But all that said, when he was on, he was quite good. He was quite good in Brazil. In, in Brazil. He was quite good at Monza. And again, it was Hungary, I believe, or was it Austria? One of those two that he was on the pole. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it was Austria. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a risk and say Austria. Okay. So anyway, uh Botas is the winner, but Massa did do one thing. Oh, and Botas did do one other thing. Botas split um the Red Bulls. So it was not three four uh it was one two for Mercedes, but it was not three four for Red Bull because of Botas, and I think that's impressive. Yeah, I agree. And and especially Botas being, you know, the younger, less experienced and uh probably still on the way up in his career it's uh well done to see him uh to see him do well right exactly which right. is a perfect segue yes <laughs> to, i love segways to second place in the championship red bull racing and the up-and-comer uh just completely dominating upon the uh the, the existing dude in this case the existing dude is four-time world championship sebastian vettel and yet here's the thing Daniel ricardo man really really impressed in every measure ricardo beat in every measure the best uh vettel could do was tie and, uh, I mean, and that they both at one point qualified second place. Um, and I think you could argue, um, that, uh, I, I accidentally, instead of writing winner, I wrote whiner. Okay. With two eyes. That's and, not and, how it goes. Winner. There it is. Um, I think you could argue, and I'm about to, that Daniel Ricardo was actually the most oppressive driver full stop. Of the season, yes, I agree. Given with that. given the car, given the equipment he had, the teammate he had, and what he got out of it, he beat everybody. Right, he he qualified well, he raced well, he overtook well on track. I mean, he had car to car battles with all of the top runners at some point through the season, and exactly right. always did well, and and you know outperformed what that car was capable of. Was always there to take advantage of any Mercedes hiccup. Right, and I mean it's it's you know ironic that you, you know what you what you type in there by accident is Weiner. I mean that's that's part of what's the greatest thing about Ricardo. Is Brilliant attitude. He just never never was down and, and sort of you know either grumpy about stuff or complaining or exactly or, uh, exactly right. You know calling out other people for for their mistakes. I mean if whatever happened, he just seemed to be you know obviously physically smiling, but just all just seems like such a quality dude he also and, had the best um ice bucket challenge of all the formula one drivers see, I, don't, I mean i forgot about that whole oh ice yeah thing. oh yeah he got he got drenched lots of ice wow. big buckets well there you go and uh it was not the best uh ice bucket challenge full stop in my opinion that goes to benedict cumberbatch but that is off track that is not the point wow the, the point is <laughs> that uh i think daniel ricardo did just a brilliant job he is now the lead driver at red bull and uh, he's going to have a young Russian to, uh, I guess, take under his wing, and but then still beat. I don't know <laughs> how that works exactly, uh, but really, he did a brilliant job. And this is not to say anything against Vettel, per se, but just so much pro things to say about Ricardo. Oh, and this is despite the fact that he was on the podium and then disqualified. Right. Let's not forget that one. That either. would have been obviously a huge more a batch of points and all that. Now, my, the question is, uh so we we the numbers show that Ricardo was ahead. You and I agree that Ricardo was ahead. Um what do you say in terms of the industry um which is better to have for 2015? Lead drive at Red Bull or uh arguably lead drive at Ferrari for next year? You know, which is a better a better place to be? Well, I mean, that gets into all kinds of things about 
I mean, I, I'm a huge, deep Ferrari fan. And, of course, I would, I think Ferrari is the name to be there. But that's getting into the full history and the road car tie and all this kind of stuff. Right. Company cars, I think you have to say Vettel's done better. Um, exactly. You know, right. you can get the Ferrari FXXK. That's a, not a bad car to have. No, where it with do it do it do a lap time or two. In you know, I mean, Infinity, they, those cars are great too, but oh, they're God. not Ferraris. <laughs> no, Infinities are not Ferraris, and that is a stark contrast. In fact, however, Christian Horner versus you know the rotating Picatinny principle. I don't know. Adrian Sutil on as consultant. Um, for design, you know, the thing. And Renault is going to improve. Adrian They're going Sutil, to close. what? Not Adrian Sutil. The other guy, Adrian Newey. <laughs> oh, ah, Newey. Oh. Names. Right. Um, and just the rapport that he's building, and I'm and, and astonishingly quickly with that team, I think there's a good chance that if the Red Bull continues to improve and be strong on the grid, that Daniel Ricciardo will be a genuine force. Yeah, man. So, okay, there is one team left. I've already written down what I think it is. We are talking about Mercedes. We're talking about Lewis Hamilton versus Nico Rosberg. And um, there are some... This one, I want to just look at the numbers just a tiny touch more because... Well, obviously, Nico Rosberg outqualified Hamilton more times than the other way around. So, clearly, he's the faster driver. So, that's got to be it. That's just it. His average... He spent more his, laps ahead of Lewis Hamilton than the other way around as his well. His average position on the grid average was 1.7 to have your average grid be better than second that's incredible because the next best average is indeed lewis hamilton and that's 4.2 and it goes down from there so that was a stark contrast race finish that dude knows how to qualify race finish lewis hamilton 4.2 nico rosberg was worse but 4.3 that's in the margins, right? Yep. They both won races. They were both on pole. Okay. As Which I one do... had more points? I don't remember. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton did score a couple more points and uh, did in oh, fact right. did in fact score better in the championship. And I think more to the point, also had worse luck. And uh, and when I talk about luck specifically, I don't I don't mean mistakes. I mean failures, right? And he had more failures. And and still overcame that and did so handedly, in fact. He won 11 races this year. He had what's become his trademark Lewis Hamilton up and down emotions and moods. But he's, to a certain extent, overcome that as well. I mean, clearly, he's he's the better driver. He's maybe the best driver in the modern era. I mean, he won, he won the championship, and that... That means a lot. It means I mean, that, a lot. That's an we, easy. We still give that championship. Merit, championships one, one for Hamilton <laughs> this year, and zero for Nico Rosberg. I one think for that, Hamilton, and in fact, yeah, two versus zero. If you want to start being jerk ca- about career it. wise, yeah. yeah. So there's there's. Uh, I think you could make the case that Nico Rosberg did very well. This is not a case of one teammate dominating another. Clearly, this the fact that it was that close is a it lot was, of what made 2014 so good. It was down to the last race. It was irrelevant that there were double points in Abu Dhabi, which is what everyone wanted. Nico Rosberg is what made this season wonderful. If this were Red Bull dominance with their favoritism towards Vettel versus Mark Webber, which we dealt with, a lot of people got frustrated and bored. We didn't have that, and then we didn't have that because, yes, because of Mercedes' mentality, but also because 
Nico, done, did, brought it. And <laughs> and it made it made it tough. And there were there were times like I think the perfect now that we can look back at it with a little bit of hindsight, you gotta respect Nico Rosberg's attempts at spa. Not I'm not saying, oh, now in hindsight I approve of it, but what I'm saying is you can tell how genuinely hard he was trying and how much it meant to him and how hard he was willing to push. And Formula One as a whole has Nico Rosberg to thank for a fantastic Formula One season. And this is with the new engine formula, the quieter, controversial engine noise, and all the other rickety-rackety that came with it. Nico Rosberg softened all of that with a great battle for the championship. Or you could say that Hamilton softened that, so Nico Rosberg didn't just run away with all of it. You could say that. You could say that. If you wanted to be odd and awkward and inaccurate. I do. I love those. Except (laughs) inaccurate. No, see, no, I draw the line inaccurate. Yeah. But yeah, so, and then, of course, for next year, they both stay at McLaren, or uh, McLaren, Mercedes. Is it it weird? Could I just complete total tangent? So we've got these new microphones, and uh, we've got the pox stoppers. looking at me through (laughs) the filter? What is going on over there? That's what I just noticed. Like, your your mouth is by the microphone, and your head's above it. (laughs) It's like I'm looking through a screen window. (laughs) We've we've got some adjustments to make, I think. 57 minutes into the podcast, he realizes, (laughs) wait a minute. (laughs) Well, no, I I think I'm doing it right. Okay, well, you, you look amazing, sir. <laughs> uh, but speaking of 57 minutes into the podcast, we should wrap this thing up for the season slash uh, Christmas time slash year. Actually. I suppose the holidays are officially 57 minutes sooner. And it's funny you mention that, actually, because uh, I don't know exactly. Ah, on my birthday, that's right. Uh, on my birthday, the morning of my birthday, I wrote a blog post. And the blog post was what you could call a service piece. Um, It's not too late. Christmas is not yet here. And if you're looking for a gift for a Formula One fan, friend, or relative, I have the solution for you. It's a blog post called Six Christmas Gifts for Formula One Fans. And in it, it has six Christmas gifts for Formula One fans. And uh, it's just a thing I did. I thought it was fun. And uh, for the people that saw the thing on we got some comments on facebook thank you for that no timepieces in there man come on well you know it's you know maybe next year there'll be seven but uh you know go in there and uh we are actually amazon affiliates or associates or whatever so we get a small little uh thank you for that so it i guess in a indirect way if it helps you out it also helps us out a tiny little bit so um that's something to do Right. And speaking of helping us out a tiny bit and Christmas gifts, one of the best gifts that you could give us as a listener um, would be to uh, rate us a little review or just rate us on the iTunes store. Yes. Those uh, those ratings and reviews actually really help out where podcasts show up in uh, in recommendations and lists and things like that. And uh, we appreciate it. I know some of you guys have uh, have done so in the past, but uh, if, it's, if it's been a little while or if you haven't done so, we always appreciate you hopping into the iTunes store. And I think if you can just do a rating, whether you have to write a review or not, uh, either way, but uh, especially if you enjoy the show and think it's uh, worth doing um, and keep in mind that uh, you know we've upgraded our, our microphone setup so hopefully we sound better than ever and we've upgraded our show notes and all that so if that goes into your review at all of like hey how amazing is this show then we always appreciate uh, all very honest and forthright feedback from our listeners exactly right and it is now time uh, very real for uh, for us to we actually both have family obligations to get to to in fact get ready for christmas but we first wanted to uh you know 
get one more podcast in and say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all our listeners. Honestly, it's been a great year. It's really been a lot of fun to do the podcast and talk with you guys. And so I really wanted to just take a moment and say thank you guys, really. It's been a lot of fun. The feedback, the two-way, you know, the way information goes back and forth. And the fact that you guys appreciate us, well, we really appreciate all of you and the work you've put into, you know, being interactive with us. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, jo- that it's, you know, sending us emails, joining us on Twitter during races and not, and, uh, you know, Facebook and, and just, you know, uh, listening to the show and certainly, you know, sharing that with uh, with your buddies. We always appreciate that. And uh, that's a lot of what makes it fun for us to, to keep going, despite the fact that that's the time that you and I, Robin, have a chance to sit down with microphones and have our most natural conversations because <laughs> because they're being recorded. So it's all, all part of that. It's like the new normal for us, right? Like uh, we just, we just like, wait, wait, why aren't? Are we not recording this? Is there a reason? I mean, I'm not really used to looking at your face without a pop filter in front of it. It's, it's really kind of weirding me out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 definitely, I think everyone will agree, I look better with a pop filter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But anyway, um, it's going to be, uh, we've been able to uh, get together a, a few times in this uh, uh, postseason, but it's going to be a little while for Jim and I to be able to talk again. I, I hope, I'm going to use the words hope, uh, that we can talk before January 2015 is over. But, gosh, we genuinely have a lot going on in our personal lives coming up. Yeah, you're going out of town a little bit. I'm going out of town a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's uh, so something about Asia and South America and all that. So we've got plenty to uh, to keep up with. And uh, and also, actually, at the base of our of our show notes, there's links to our individual Twitter streams as well. So, um, you know, presumably you know that there's uh, Fun With Cars is on Twitter, and you can follow us talking about podcasts and, and uh live tweeting along with events that we can do so and whatever but if you're if you're interested in uh our, our other uh you know travels and uh and you know what we find interesting on the internet uh from time to time then uh you can follow us there as well i'm 24 limes and robin you are robin warner how unoriginal is that I, what is original is the robin warner part that is the yeah. utmost original yeah, some dude registered Jim Lau on Twitter and he never uses it. And it makes me very sad that somebody has that name and, and is not using it. So I have to come up with something screwball. But anyway. Um, <laughs> come on. Let's, uh, tis the season of giving, sir. And let me give you a compliment. Uh, or should I pay you a compliment? Maybe, whatever. Tis pay- the season of pain. And 24 Limes is a clever name and a, I, I don't know what, a handle. So... Congratulations to you, sir. By the way... And it sounds you, refreshing. Well, here's the thing, though, right? It's the Twitter handle, right? Never know what you handle. You know, the the term handle, historically, the way I know it, at least, who knows, maybe it's like centuries-old marine time ter- terminology, but I know it from Citizens Band and Truckers. What's your handle? And that was on the CB. So for it to be used for Twitter now is very off put it's weird for me. No, it's perfect because it's like it's a, it's a which Twitter really is just kind of one big CB radio for everyone. Right? Kind I mean, of. You know, right, it is. Just throwing stuff out there and But and it's still the, the 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 mentality and the attitude and the way Twitter. And maybe this just shows just how completely uh, much I miss the point of Twitter. Maybe Robin I should understand. be more of a trucker. <laughs> Robin didn't understand Twitter until we explained to him. It's just like CB radio. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, 
Robin the Trucker Warner. That's good. I want everyone to end their 2014 with that thought. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, uh, so uh, we always enjoy uh, that you guys come and uh, and listen and, and uh, send us feedback and all that. So uh, visit Fun with Cars. We're right there. You can comment on the shows, and of course, there's links to all the fun stuff we do, as well as the show notes that I've just mentioned like eight times now. Yeah, well, uh, it's a big deal for me. So anyway, it's a big, no, they, hey, <laughs> it is a big deal. It is cool, and it's it's definitely it's proper, and it's something that uh, I think is a welcome. Welcome addition to uh, our little thing. Cool. Well, thank you as always for listening. We will be in touch in the new year. And until then, I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. Merry Christmas and have a happy new year.